0: This is Section 29 of Mark Twain: A Biography, Volume Two. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mark Twain: A Biography by Albert Bigelow Payne. Chapter 133: The Three Fires, Some Benefactions. The tradition that fires occur in groups of three was justified in the Clemens household that winter, on each of three successive days flames started that might have led to ghastly results the children were croupy and one morning an alcohol lamp near little clara's bed blown by the draught set fire to the canopy rosa the nurse entered just as the blaze was well started she did not lose her presence of mind rosa was not the kind to lose her head once in europe when bay had crept between the uprights of a high balustrade and was hanging out over destruction rosa discovering her did not scream but spoke to her playfully and lifted her over into safety but snatched the little girl out of danger then opened the window and threw the burning bedding on the lawn the child was only slightly scorched but the escape was narrow enough next day little jean was lying asleep in her crib in front of an open wood fire carefully protected by a fire screen when a spark with some ingenuity managed to get through the mesh of the screen and land on the crib's lace covering. Jean's nurse, Julia, arrived to find the lace, a gust of flame, and the fire spreading. She grabbed the sleeping Jean and screamed. Rosa, again at hand, heard the scream, and rushing in once more, opened a window and flung out the blazing bedclothes. Clemens himself also arrived, and together they stamped out the fire. On the third morning, just before breakfast-time, Susie was practicing at the piano in the schoolroom, which adjoined the nursery. At one end of the room a fire of large logs was burning. Susie was at the other end of the room, her back to the fire. A log burned in two, and fell, scattering coals around the woodwork which supported the mantel. Just as the blaze was getting fairly started, a barber, waiting to trim Mr. Clemens's hair, chanced to look in and saw what was going on. He stepped into the nursery bathroom brought a pitcher of water, and extinguished the flames. This period was always referred to in the Clemens household as the three days of fire. Clemens would naturally make philosophical deductions from these coincidental dangers and the manner in which they had been averted. He said that all these things were comprehended in the first act of the first atom, that, but for some particular impulse given at that remote time, the alcohol flame would not have blown against the canopy, the spark would not have found its way through the screen, the log would not have broken apart in that dangerous way, and that Rosa and Julia and the barber would not have been at hand to save precious life and property. He did not go further and draw moral conclusions as to the purpose of these things. He never drew conclusions as to purpose. He was willing to rest with the event. Logically, he did not believe in reasons for things, but only that things were. Nevertheless, he was always trying to change them, to have a hand in their improvement. Had you asked him, he would have said that this, too, was all in the primal atom, that his nature, such as it was, had been minutely embodied there. In that charming volume My Mark Twain, howells tells us of clemens consideration and even tenderness for the negro race and his effort to repair the wrong done by his nation mark twain's writings are full of similar evidence and in his daily life he never missed an opportunity to pay tribute to the humbler race he would go across the street to speak to an old negro and to take his hand he would read for a negro church when he would have refused a cathedral Howells mentions the colored student whose way through college Clemens paid as a partial reparation, due from every white man to every black man. Mark Twain paid two colored students through college. One of them, educated in a Southern institution, became a minister of the gospel. The other graduated from Yale Law School. This incident belongs just to the period of which we are now writing and there is another which though different enough indicates the same tendency garfield was about to be inaugurated and it was rumored that frederick douglas might lose his position as marshal of the district of columbia clemens was continually besought by one and another to use his influence with the administration and in every case had refused douglas had made no such application clemens learning that the old negro's place was in danger interceded for him of his own accord he closed his letter to general garfield a simple citizen may express a desire with all propriety in the matter of recommendation to office and so i beg permission to hope that you will retain mr douglas in his present office of marshal of the district of columbia if such a course will not clash with your own preferences or with the expediences and interests of your administration i offer this petition with peculiar pleasure and strong desire because i so honor this man's high and blemishless character and so admire his brave long crusade for the liberties and elevation of his race. He is a personal friend of mine, but that is nothing to the point. His history would move me to say these things without that, and I feel them too. Douglas wrote to Clemens, thanking him for his interest. At the end he said, I think if a man is mean enough to want an office, he ought to be noble enough to ask for it and use all honorable means of getting it i mean to ask and i will use your letter as a part of my petition it will put the president-elect in a good humor in any case and that is very important with great respect gratefully yours frederick douglas mark twain's benefactions were not all for the colored race One morning, in February of this same year, while the family were at late breakfast, George came in to announce, A lady waiting to see Mr. Clemens in the drawing-room. Clemens growled. George, he said, it's a book agent. I won't see her. I'll die in my tracks first. He went, fuming and raging inwardly, and began at once to ask the nature of the intruder's business. Then he saw that she was very young and modest, with none of the assurance of a canvasser, so he gave her a chance to speak. She told him that a young man employed in Pratt & Whitney's machine shops had made a statue in clay, and would like to have Mark Twain come and look at it and see if it showed any promise of future achievement. His name, she said, was Carl Gerhardt, and he was her husband. Clemens protested that he knew nothing about art, but the young woman's manner and appearance she seemed scarcely more than a child, won him. He wavered and finally promised that he would come the first chance he had, that, in fact, he would come sometime during the next week. On her suggestion, he agreed to come early in the week. He specified Monday without fail. When she was gone and the door shut behind her, his usual remorse came upon him. He said to himself, Why didn't I go now why didn't i go with her now she went from clemens over to warner's warner also resisted but tempted beyond his strength by her charm laid down his work and went at once when he returned he urged clemens to go without fail and true to promise clemens took patrick the coachman and hunted up the place clemens saw the statue a semi nude for which the young wife had posed and was struck by its evident merit. Mrs. Gerhardt told him the story of her husband's struggles between his daily work and the effort to develop his talent. He had never had a lesson, she said. If he could only have lessons, what might he not accomplish? Mrs. Clemens and Miss Spaulding called next day, and were equally carried away with Carl Gerhardt, his young wife, and his effort to win his way in art clemens and warner made up their minds to interest themselves personally in the matter and finally persuaded the painter j wells champney to come over from new york and go with them to the gerhardt's humble habitation to see his work champney approved of it he thought it well worth while he said for the people of hartford to go to the expense of gerhardt's art education he added that it would be better to get the judgment of a sculptor so they brought over john quincy adams ward who like all the others came away bewitched with these young people and their struggles for the sake of art ward said if any stranger had told me that this prentice did not model that thing from plaster cast i should not have believed it it's full of crudities but it's full of genius too hartford must send him to paris for two years then if the promise holds good keep him there three more when he was gone, Mrs. Clemens said, "'Youth, we won't wait for Hartford to do it. It would take too long. Let us send the Gerhards to Paris ourselves, and say nothing about it to anyone else.'" So the Gerhards, provided with funds and an arrangement that would enable them to live for five years in Paris if necessary, were started across the sea without further delay. Clemens and his wife were often doing something of this sort. There was seldom a time that they were not paying the way of some young man or woman through college or providing means and opportunity for development in some special field of industry. End of chapter one hundred and thirty three. The Three Fires. Some Benefactions. Read by John Greenman.